Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Let's get into it. Okay, we are... These are the last two episodes we're talking about. Oh my gosh. In Ted Lasso, at least. Not the last episodes of Pop on Leadership. I would hope not. No, gosh, no. Um, I don't think so. That, that We don't have any plans for that. But it was... How did you feel watching these last two and knowing sort of... I mean, we obviously knew the show was going to end, but... I don't know. I feel like it's a little end of an era for us. Like we've just been, we've been talking about this show for so long. And also it's how we be, it's how we met. I, I would say it's how we met. I, I don't, well, well, not really how we met. I think we would have become friends anyways. Professional acquaintances. We would have been professional acquaintances anyways, but this kind of wild idea and, and, and doing this, I mean, yeah, like looking back on it, like it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I have no words. It's It's been a really, really awesome experience. Yeah. Or it's like our quirky joy of unpacking the episodes through this lens of mm-hmm. whether you want to call it organizational design, organizational development, leadership development uh, is what sort of, I would say, really um, put our acquaintance in hyperdrive. <laughs> It made this come to so yeah, it is it's the reason pop on leadership exists. Um yeah, I also was like, oh god, I could just talk about how well the TV show was written and done and not talk about organizational event in these last two because for me, like in the beginning, you know, we've talked about this, like it kind of got off to a slow start for me. Like it, it kind of, it, and maybe this was, you've said this before, very intentional to make us feel like, how are they going to pull this all together? How are they going to pull this all together? Like you've got one season left. Why are you wasting these episodes on Zava and Jack? You know, like I was so frustrated. I was like, you have a job to do. You have to wrap up this whole story. And somehow they magically did so much of that in that final episode, which we're going to talk about today. I know we're going to talk about 11 first, the penultimate uh, episode, but they did it. They, they pulled it off. They really did. Did you, did you uh, get into the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? You know what? Funny that you should say that. I stopped watching it for a while for no real reason other than, you know, just so much TV out there. And I just, uh binged i just finished it so i like i like binged um i think season three and four right there's four seasons or five seasons i have no idea, anyway but i, I watched them all i've definitely i've definitely watched them all but i felt like the last season of of mrs Maisel, they did that too like the the it was just slow moving and weird and different and then that last episode they just like yeah yeah oh yeah so good Pulled tv magic the- yeah and the marvelous mrs Maisel, which i i I agree because it started off slow, but I was like, I'm committed. I, 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 I want to see how this ends. But yeah, they. Um, I thought it was cool how they hopped around in time. That actually kept me on the hook because I was like, well, Dad, I hated it. 
Yeah, it's like, I was like, okay, like, and you know, because you're, pe- speaking of piecing together a puzzle, you're piecing together the puzzle. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, so they, they weren't talking during this time, but they were, and what happens bef- to lead to that? And, um, but they did pull it all together in that final episode. Yeah. Yeah, that final episode was Chef's Kiss, and so was the final episode of Ted Lasso. Yeah, cool. Um, all right, well, but we do have, well, okay, yes, that final episode, but you know, Mom City. Season three, episode 11. Let's talk about that because Ted's mom shows up out of the blue. Turns out she's been in England for a week, staying at a hostel. Didn't tell him he was coming. Just hanging out on a bench in that little, you know, outside of the pub. Um, That was weird. We're like, what's going on? And we find out that Ted's just like her. She has all those quirky sayings. Like we can see exactly where he gets it, and yet he's he turns into a different person around her because he's annoyed by her. And I'm like, it's very funny because obviously, like people get annoyed by him by that cheeriness. But it, anyway, there this is a really wonderful episode because it talks about um, Ted's been sort of holding a lot of stuff in, and this is an episode for that. And and there's a parallel to Jamie's story with his dad, where mm-hmm. they're going back to Manchester. Last time he saw his dad was at Wembley Stadium where he just like yelled at him and wore, you know, the Manchester uh, jersey and came into the locker room all drunk. And um, and he hasn't talked to him since. And he's in this weird place where he used to have his like kind of hatred towards his dad or anger, I should say, anger towards his dad and resentment was the fuel that he used to motivate him to get better to play hard to win and in this like he hasn't talked to his dad in like almost a year or i don't know how long but he 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 was like who am i without this it was weird and yet he was really sad about it and so he he talks about sort of how he's really struggling with that um i know i know i mean this one was hard for me to sort of pull some references to organizational (laughs) development because it, it is one of those really the, the ones that really get into the feelings but it was a beautiful episode yeah it was it was a beautiful episode i have a I have a note on here is like how are we not going to talk about mothers <laughs> <Ha>! <laughs> we made a promise by the way that we were not going to as many times as they talk about the child parent relationship that we weren't going to bring this up on this show <laughs> And then we have a sh- and then we have an episode called Mob City. Well, well, we 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 have we have we have touched on our relationship with our parents in in this podcast. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it talks about how what you know the the, the buzz term generational trauma, like the stuff that you get mm-hmm. from them, they themselves got probably even at a higher dosage from their parents. Um, and maybe, maybe if they're aware of it, they try really hard not to pass it down to you, but they don't know any differently. Right. And it's a sort of continuous line or, um, yeah. Can I, I, I went and researched this poem. The so, one that May says to him. Yeah. I just want to do it. Can I, I just, just set it up? It Can I just set up? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So Ted's mom drops in completely like out of the blue. Um, And so at some point, obviously they end up back at May's pub and Ted's just like making an excuse to get up and step away so that he doesn't have to talk to her. He's like so uncomfortable. So he says, Oh, it's my turn up at the, at the pinball game. 
and uh he's not even playing and may comes over and is like you know it, this works better when you actually play with like a ball and realizes that he's kind of avoiding his mom and then says this we'll start you don't realize it's a poem right at the beginning but then you realize very quickly she's reciting she's reciting something and so this is what what she said so this it, the poem is called this be the verse um, the author is Philip Larkin. They fuck you up, your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. But they were fucked up in their turn by fools in old style hats and co- coats who half the time were soppy stern and half at one another's throats. Man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get it out as early as you can and don't have kids yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's just like what we were talking about. I mean, that's depressing as fuck, but like. Yeah. That last line especially hits you. You're like, because at least when I heard that poem and obviously uh, you you reciting it again, you're like, yeah, that's right. They pass the stuff down and they mess us up until that very line. It's like get out as quickly as you can and don't have kids yourself. You're like, hold on a second. You know, and I, 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 for me, it was like, oh, is, is this the point of the poem to make you realize, like, if you think you are capable, like, you know what I mean? It wouldn't stop you from having kids, but recognize that you, there's a good chance you might do the same to them. Right. Like you are not above this, right. That you are in this cycle um yeah my interpretation of that too is that um oh man mom forgive me for this but my mom and I got in a fight one time and she was like well what would you do if this was like you and your kids right like that's always like the parent response is like well what would you do if this was your kids and I think that I think that the answer to that and for my mom I tell her this to her face is that like, you have to work on yourself. Like you're not going to, you're not going to, with your own kids, fix your generational stuff that's been passed down unless you work on it. And I mean, that's just my interpretation. And that's what I remind myself every day. Like whenever I feel things coming up with my kids is that, is that like, this is not going to change, like, unless I change myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also like, you know, I know I'm grasping at straws here a little bit here to make make the connection to organizational development. But there are, you know, this this topic of uh, generational trauma or cycles. You and I have talked about this like generational war that happens sometimes within companies that the boomers are like millennials, blah, blah, blah. And now millennials are like Gen Z, blah, blah, blah. And really what they're responding to is someone who's in a certain stage of their life that only has so much perspective because they've only lived so long or had so many experiences and their annoyance that they don't somehow magically have 40 plus years of perspective, but it's not necessarily a generational thing. With that said, I do see a change between Gen Z and millennials and boomers and so on about what matters to them, their values in the workplace, how they relate themselves 
to a job or career is changing, right? This was this was a big thing with like with millennials coming up is like, oh, they're all asking us like, what's our mission? They want to make sure they're working for an organization that aligns that their mission aligns to their values. That was like a big thing that really everyone was rolling their eyes at. But I was like, is that a bad thing? Like, I feel like that's a kind of quote unquote work generational curse that should be broken, right? This like, who cares who you hurt as long as you make money? Like, I'm glad people are <laughs> trying to think differently, you know? Um, and I was going to wonder, like, what are some other things that you see in this, you know, again, grasping at straws to draw this parallel, these generational curses that have been historically sort of passed down through corporate culture that we see younger generations breaking so they don't pass it down to the next? Oh, that is a juicy question. First of all, I think that the the changes in our organization follow the changes that we see in society. So this whole kind of like you go to work and you are your work and nothing else. And like, it's all real male dominated. A lot of this is so assumptive, but I'm just going to go for it. So, but a lot of, you know, previous generations of men were raised by really stern men who were like, this is what we have to be to be men. And so they pass that along to their sons. And I think, and it's like, like the wife does all the cooking and clean. It's like real traditional stuff that they, that, that was taught yeah, yeah, to yeah. them. Right. And so things, I think things just started to change as we realized that like, that's not healthy for men to have that example, but also women entering the workforce. And now, you know, 90%, like so many homes have a, like two working parents. Yeah. That was the dynamic. And so I think that like that whole mentality of like, leave yourself at the door has changed. And what happened with our generation what I think is that we saw people working as cogs in the machine and it was uninspired and, and work was like gross and boring and we never want to do what our parents did. And so, so, and, and so that actually, that's one perspective is that we saw that we didn't want to do that. We wanted to do something with meaning and we were taught that like work, like work can have meaning and it can. And the other thing is, is that, like if you were like me and you were raised by a single mom, it was that you are never going to be a woman and depend on a man for anything. Like you're going to mm -hmm. go off and like make your way in the world because you can't depend on that traditional structure that was put into society. Yeah. So I think, I think those two things made us be like this women empowerment movement not that it was already there, but like our women empowerment as millennials, Gen Xers was different. And then also it was like, I want to do work that means something, but it shift. I think it's shifting now because companies took advantage of it. When you mm -hmm. love what you do and you're connected to your coworkers, it can get a little culty. And then all you do is spend every waking hour thinking about your work and being obsessed and trying to be in this group. And then the power, the, the balance shifts. So now the, like now, whenever people are looking at work, they're like, I just want to go do my job and then go live my life. Yeah. But then that's interpreted. I agree. And then people are like, well, that's lazy. I'm like, no, no, no. I think you for the long time had this like people hypnotized into this almost cultiness that work was at their center of their universe. And you benefited from that work devotion, that work loyalty, because you were able to grind out as many hours and productivity from them. 
without question. And now that they're actually like opening their eyes and questioning, like, wait, is this the only way? Yeah. Like the, 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 the older generations are like, are feeling, um, like that's lazy. I, I, when this comes up with clients and I, I know I'm repeating myself and they're like, oh, this younger generation is just, these are the things Ugh. they're doing. And they're like, I'm like, is it that you're upset or is it that you're a little jealous that they figured out how to ask for what they want and need? And our generations didn't like, we might've complained, but we went along with it because we couldn't have imagined that there was a different way or we couldn't have imagined asking for what we actually need and want and so yeah is it is it actually their ability to do this that rubs you the wrong way because you realize they're going to have a different life that you could have had they just <laughs> it just took a generation to figure it out right um yeah one I, more one more thing on this too so i think from an organizational standpoint especially in the world of sales that i lived in for a long time if you can get to that sweet spot where the harder that i work the more money that i make it's a sweet spot. I'm not saying it's totally healthy, but I'm saying that that motivates the shit out of people if they can see that direct correlation. So in the older generations, houses only cost $150,000. So they could go get a normal middle-class job. They could get out of college. There were jobs for them. They could go get that job and actually have a life. Have a life. Yeah. They could... Like the, this younger generation does not have that privilege. Like they're going to go work these jobs for like zero dollars. Um, there's these weird systems put in place where it's hard for them to advance. So that correlation is broken and the the wages haven't caught up with yeah. the, with you know, like what things cost. And so they're just like, this is like, this is like pushing that rock up a hill and it's not going anywhere. So yeah. why am I going to devote myself to this situation? Yeah. The incentives and rewards are not there to work as hard as maybe, you know, or I'm not saying they're not working hard, but to work around the clock without questioning it, right? It's sort of this work devotion. The rewards and incentives are not there to have this work devotion anymore. I also think that you said, you know, like that that corporate America or, or companies will change as society changes around them. I do think that's, there. that is correct. But I, I think it's like, for example, women entering the workplace. What changed was obviously some laws, but also tolerance to it. What did not change was, you know, because we talked about more dual income families are all the support systems in place because those men often Ugh. who who go up the career ladder really quickly do have a partner at home taking care of all that stuff and when those duties are more distributed amongst the couple that helps but if you still and then there's like we can go into like childcare and how it's so expensive and it's like prohibitive which means often a parent does need to pull out of work because your salary just goes entirely to paying for child. Like it's all this stuff that the systems aren't actually there. So even though there's a tolerance to having more women in the workplace, you know, starting. It's impossible. Even though there's the, all the, like people say like, yes, it's important to have a diverse and representative workforce. There are so many systemic things in place that still make it so hard, you know? So it's like, yeah, companies have changed, society's more t like progressive, but the systems to support you aren't always there. Like you were saying, like wages aren't going up 
you know, all these things. And so I, I just think it's really hard to be like, but look at us, we're, we're 50% women. And it's like, yeah. And they probably are in support roles too. Or like, don't have the same level of support or go home and then have to do like hours and hours of stuff with their kids in the home and whatever. Like (laughs) it's unseen, you know, it's, it's not appreciated because I saw this statistic the other day that was like, when a woman decides to have kids and get married, she's signing up for seven, seven extra hours of work a day. Like that's what she gets through that arrangement. And people are always, people are all like, why are women like not getting married, having kids as much as they used to? It's like, what? Like, I get it. I mean, I love my children and I love my husband and I went and changed my life for the world. But like, if, if you don't want your life to be a shit ton harder, the way to go is to not have those things. <laughs> like, Yeah, totally. And like, again, back to rewards and incentives. Like if you feel very rewarded in your life, being child free, child, like whatever, and you're incentivized by being able to pick up and travel whenever you want. And you're incentivized by being the cool auntie who comes in every once in a while and gives really nice gifts. Like go on with your bad self. Great. Great. Like to your point, like the other rewards on incentives on the other side, it's like, so let me get this straight. Uh, I'm cleaning up puke and poop uh, constantly constantly, (laughs) for at least the first 15 years of their lives. Okay. I see. see. Then they start yelling at you. And then when they stop (laughs) shitting and puking everywhere, they hate you. So cool. (laughs) Sounds awesome five star five star recommendation yeah totally yes and we both love our children i'm like obsessed with them. Like, like mother motherhood it is this gentle time where you find joy it's like will we please stop saying it is part of it but like let's have her more i don't want anytime my friends have babies i'm like call me if you want the truth <laughs> um all right so there's this in this episode the other thing that i really love is um there's that moment where like we don't know if Jamie's going to finish the game he gets hurt and he keeps looking at the stands and and Ted's like who are you looking for back there and he knows and he's like well my dad I thought he'd be here like yelling at me and but I don't see him and it's kind of like messing with him right you know and and he's like well if your dad was here what would you say to him and he's like you know I'd say fuck you but I'd also Mm -hmm. say thank you because in a way Jamie doesn't know himself without that anger. Mm-hmm. And as much as he's like, there's a fuck you about it. He realizes he's at the point in his athletic career because he's used it to drive himself. Right. Um, he's got to find a new purpose. Yeah. So in this weird way, he's thankful because it made him who he is today, but it's still like hurt. Right. It's, it, And so when Ted gets home and his mom has made not only, what is it? She makes a lasagna and what else does she make? Cause she like, wasn't sure she made like three meals. Cause she wasn't sure what Ted was going to want. Very Ted, you know, (laughs) her man. Does your mom, does your mom not do this? (laughs) When my mom gets anxious, she cooks. So like I, (laughs) Ted's mom is very similar to my mom. (laughs) Uh, no, I would say not maybe like three meals. I think my grandmothers were that way a little bit. My mom cooks very wonderfully and, and has her like really, um, certain dishes that are great. But, um, 
Anyway, uh, but yes. the point being, like, she has all these mannerisms and sayings and the way she speaks and her actions. And her jokes. Just... Yeah. What, um, bef- before Ted gets into it, you can tell that she, um, she has, like, a real discomfort with therapy, right? Because she, ha- she can't even say, like, are you still having panic attacks? She's like, are you, are you still having those, um, episodes? Like, you can tell she has a real discomfort for it. And he's like, yeah, you know, I've been talking to a therapist. And she's like, oh, let me guess. It's all my fault. And I thought that was really interesting because you, we sort of, at least I expected this moment of a lot of empathy and, but you could tell that it's just made her so uncomfortable. And he's like, yeah, you should think about it. She's like, yeah, yeah. It's not really my cup of tea. And so we start to get a little bit like she buried and didn't work on herself like you were saying ted is breaking that he decided it took him a while we remember his relationship with dr sharon was not great the first couple times but that's why he was that way right he came from this family that thought like yeah therapy's not for me Mm, bury it bury it um anyway so then what he eventually says is something sort of inspired by that chat he had with jamie where he goes through this list of like swapping you know sort of going back and forth between fuck you for this but thank you for that fuck you for this but thank you for that and she's a little taken aback and and some of the things he says is like fuck you for not getting help you know also like fuck you for making me think i also had to bury it Mm -hmm. um for not talking to me when dad died all these things um and it, you could tell it was really cathartic for him. It was almost like a little bit like an out-of-body experience because when it was over, he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry I said all those things to you. But he like, we don't know how long he's been carrying it around. And his mom's like, well, I'm just sorry you waited so long to tell me, right? Um, and she finally says like, Henry misses you. And he's like, yeah, I miss him too. So anyway, this whole episode, there's so many references to the Wizard of Oz, which we know has that wonderful line. We're not in Kansas anymore. He's from Kansas. Also has like, there's no place like home. He's playing the Wizard oh. of Oz. Yeah, there's the Wizard I of Oz. I didn't pinball. see that. I didn't make that connection. So here are, the, here are the references. He's playing the Wizard of Oz pinball game. Then when they're having the team movie night, um, the Wizard of Oz, somewhere over the, the song, somewhere over the rainbow is playing. And then the closing credits is a song from the movie the wiz which is a remake of the wizard of oz uh sang by uh brandy carlisle so all the things are there like he's going back home there's no you know like kansas yeah like it's, the, it's oh, wait no ted is dorothy yeah yeah that's what i'm saying but he's going back yeah. home yeah yeah yeah, episode, yeah this episode basically sets it up yeah, I just have never thought of that before as Ted is Dorothy and he's going and he's like helping all these people find parts of himself and then he's going to go back home. I know that's what you're saying. It just my mind is just blown right now. I, I just didn't yeah. make that connection. Also, let me tell you, um, I have. <laughs> so, OK, I, I don't know when this episode is actually going to to, to go up, but um, it's not Halloween yet. You know how much I love Halloween. You know, how, well, I didn't always. I love it now that I'm a grown up and parent of children because for kids like Halloween is like a high holiday. Um, 
And I have always wanted to be Glinda. Because mm. I think I could really just, I just want an excuse to wear a big, huge, poofy, pink ball gown, like through the streets of my town. And, but we tend, we're trying as long as we can to do family themed costumes. I got Penny on board. She really wanted, this all started because she wanted to be Dorothy. I was like, I'll be Glinda. Pause. Yeah. Okay. I got to bring this back to organizational design. Was this on the sticky notes design thinking session that you had with your family? Are you doing illusion of inclusion? A hundred percent. No, we're not doing illusion of inclusion. No, 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 no. Did you ask them, did you ask them what they want to do for Halloween and then you forced them to do what you wanted to do? Absolutely not. I'm okay. First of all, it is true that I do, we, I do facilitate brainstorms and I make sure that Bill and I speak last because our kids are like, well, that's fine, mama, if you want to do that. But I do let them like bow and we vote last and all these stuff and like see themes and patterns. And then I let them like sleep on it. I do facilitate the process. Um, no, the, t- the- <laughs> there's no illusion of inclusion. I will say the, <laughs> the, the one little like um, catchphrase that all, you know, when people like hold brainstorms, like good ideas can come from anywhere. And it's always like Bill's throwing out these ideas that were always like, you know, you're like, there's no bad ideas, but I'm like, God, these ideas are so bad, you know, (laughs) but you're like, there's no bad ideas. Just put it up there. And then lo and behold, like every once in a while, I'm like, I'm like, yep, actually good ideas can come from anywhere, but you have to, (laughs) you have to believe it. (laughs) You have to kind of, yeah. And so like, if you're doing that, let people put out a bunch of bad ideas because as Ted said, sometimes a good idea is right behind a, a bad idea, but um, yes, I do facilitate a brainstorm, post-its, voting dots. Absolutely. We do this sort of exercise for many things, not just um, Halloween costumes, but also like what theme the birthday parties are going to be, how we're going to set up our summer vacations. Yeah, I, I, it's, I, I get all voices involved. Um, so we decided we're not doing it because Charlotte's at an age where she's sort of on the fence about doing family costumes. You know, she's getting a little older. And so, and our kids have different groups of friends. So at some point we're probably going to have to split up to trick or treat, which breaks my heart. I'm trying not to do that for as long as I can. Um, So that's like, we have to keep that in mind. So there's another constraint, like, can this be both a group costume? Like if all four of us together, people are like, oh, cool. I get it. And can the costume stand alone? Mm. If we split up, would they get it? And so that is something that we also like, so no, we are not going as Wizard of Oz this year. It's still mm. there. We might we might do it. Because if I can't be Glinda, the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to be a badass Wizard of Oz with like a green shiny suit. Yeah. And I'm going to get like, I'm going to bedazzle the back of the jacket, the suit jacket with like emeralds that say Wizard of Oz. Yeah. You're going to rent, you're going to rent a horse, aren't you? It's going to, it's going to change color somehow. Yeah. Um <laughs> No, I won't do that. I won't write a horse. I, w- I wouldn't even be surprised if I saw a picture of you dressed as a wizard and you had found a white horse for your costume. Maybe, maybe. Um, I'm not going to spoil it. We did decide what we're going to do. Okay, it- I don't want to know. Okay. But I'm, well, I'm going to let you be surprised. Um, but yes, all the Wizard of Oz references in this, Ted, it's Dorothy, he's going back home, sets it up, right? So we know there's only one more episode to go. Oh, there's just so many illusions I missed. 
I'm so mad. This is not me. Like, I always know the ending to a show. I always catch these things. And this one was glaring, and I did not catch it. I'm very disappointed in myself right now. That's okay. You were just wrapped up in in all the mom stuff. Yeah, it's the mom <laughs> stuff. Got in my way. Gets you every time. Gets you every time. <laughs> all right. Anything else before we wrap up this Mom City episode? Last thing on the mom city, um, and I just I have little boys, so I I this just melted my heart. We see this relationship that Jamie has with his mother of just complete unconditional love. Right? And, How did we forget about that? How did I forget about that? <laughs> and she like helps it. She just like so Jamie's depressed and he's having all these issues, and then he goes back to his mom. And she is just the warmest, most loving character. And he's okay after that. Like he kind of like gets through his head stuff. And it was just, a, it was just a beautiful scene. And I was like, I was very inspired. Cause I was like, I, that's my dream that my boys feel that way about me. Oh, that's so sweet. And that their friends have crushes on you. Cause Roy was sort of like obsessed with her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. That too. <laughs> because we were reminded that Jamie's so young and we're led to believe that maybe his mom had him when she was young. So she's not that much older than Roy or she's might be my age for all we know. And she looks good. She looks yeah. real good. So there was all, <laughs> he's like, mommy, but she's like boobylicious and like just gorgeous and and like holding his head to her chest and he's like and then they sorry i can't believe i forgot to bring this up they go into his childhood bedroom and the there's two posters one of roy kent early in his career and one of keely jones like you know holding two soccer balls in front of her boobies and yet he has them both in his life so it's a very it's almost like he manifested it <laughs> Totally. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. It's so great. I love, I love how rattled Roy is like when they're leaving and the mom hugs Jamie and Roy's like, okay. And he opens his arms for her. He's like one more for the road. <laughs> He's probably like hugged or something. <laughs> oh. Yes. That was very sweet. Yeah. That was, Oh God. She does love him. My husband, my husband had one of those like, like grandmothers that was written out of a fairy tale you know that you like read about and you think grandmothers are that way I guess a lot of people did my grandmother was like a hardcore matriarch and she was not like that soft and she was like a jokester like she was not your normal grandmother the one that I grew up with so when I met my husband's grandmother she was like she like took me in her arms and she was like I love you for exactly who you are and I was like people like you exist <laughs> Like that was like Roy's, that was like Roy when he saw Jamie's mom. Cause you know, Roy had to have come from like a hardcore household that he was like, what is, what is this? I don't understand. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh my right. gosh. Lovely. All right. Well, that's, that wraps up season three, episode 11. The next one is the final episode of Ted Lasso, the series. So join us back here as we wrap that up. Ooh. Talk soon, everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. 
And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.